Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Good to see everybody this morning, and want to welcome those of you that are joining us uh, by live stream. It's uh, just exciting to to be in the Lord's house and to you know be uh, studying the Lord the Word of God. And and man, I'm just I'm just excited. I was driving all the way here this morning and. Uh, just thinking, I can't wait to talk about both what we're going to talk about in the nine o'clock hour, as well as uh, what we're talking about in the uh, worship hour. So I hope you'll stick around for both services. And let me start with a couple of quick announcements. Am I on? It says it's on on my end. It's not muted. Those of you live streaming, just bear with us here. We're trying to get it so folks here can see me. It says on and not muted. Testing one, two. Is the t- receiver on up there? Might be coming through the other mic, yeah. Hmm. Testing one, two. But the, the receiver on top of that stack is on, right? Huh. Well, I'm going to just talk loud so that uh, we don't. I mean, you can keep working on it. And if you get it fixed, something tells me we'll know because it'll go boom. So that's all right. All right, a couple quick announcements. Uh, uh, Wendy and I just got back in from uh, Oklahoma City last night uh, where I uh, was able to do some interviews and podcasts with uh, Gary Stearman and and Mondo Gonzalez at Prophecy Watchers. Truly an honor, just a great opportunity to meet them and interact with them and just gracious, gracious guys. I I told them I felt like I was on holy ground because I've watched them and followed them for so long and looked up to them. Uh, But anyway... Uh, that was awesome, and part of uh, the outgrowth of that is I'm going to be speaking in Orlando at their conference uh, March 2nd through 5th, so we'll have more to say about that. It is live stream, so you don't have to hop in the car and go to Orlando, although there are still tickets available. It's selling out pretty fast. All the uh, hotel rooms are sold out, at least the block rooms at the, ho- at the conference rate, uh, but uh, they have unlimited tickets for the streaming, uh, and so hopefully some of you folks will be interested uh, in, in signing up for that and watching a lot of great speakers um, and uh, looking forward to that. So, And then also, coincidentally, in Orlando uh, next month, February, I'll be at uh, Liberty Baptist Church in Claremont doing a What Is This World Coming To conference. Uh, that will also be live streamed. That one is free, uh, but you, if you want to come, we'd love to have you. Or if you're in the um, Florida area or anywhere in that southeast uh, region of the country, uh, come on over for that conference. You do need to register even though it's free because they're uh, keeping track of space and, and seats and so forth. Don't forget here locally, on uh, Tuesday, January 31st, we're going to be starting Prophecy Night at Plum Creek. And uh, really looking forward to that. It's uh, going to be an hour and a half format from 6 to 7.30. It will be live streamed. Did we figure out the problem? It's on your back. Oh, no wonder. Okay, I am so glad I have people to help me. That explains it. Are you laughing at me or because of me? Okay, just want to clarify. Okay, good. You're just enjoying me, did someone say? (laughs) Humoring me? I get it. Okay, now, can you hear me? All right, yes, the microphones work better when they are attached to where your mouth is. That's nice. Okay, lesson learned. Uh, So anyway, yep, the Prophecy Night, we've got uh, two more Wednesdays uh, to finish up our The Greatness of God series, and then starting Tuesday, January 31st, we will do Prophecy Night, an hour and a half format. We'll do some 
praise and worship at the beginning, an hour of teaching, and 15 minutes of Q&A, and I hope you'll uh, look forward to, to uh, joining us for that. Uh, my article this week, uh, once again, was uh, posted at Harbinger's Daily. It's also, of course, at notbyworks.org. We have an archive there of hundreds of articles that I've written uh, through the years. If you're ever uh, looking for just a short devotional that you can read in, in three to five minutes, uh, check out the devotionals page at notbyworks.org. Also, our podcasts. Uh, the ones that we recorded this week should be posted in the next two to three weeks, and we'll repost them at Not By Works site, and you can look forward to those. But anytime, just go to notbyworks.org slash podcasts, and you can check out all the different podcasts that we do each week, including the one that we do every week with Randy, uh, which we so appreciate him. He did make it safely back from his trip. Those of you that listen to that podcast each week, he was uh, he's a <clears throat> private investigator and was investigating a murder, uh, uh, missing persons mur- slash murder case, and uh, came back from that safely. So appreciate your prayers for that. And then don't forget about the new books uh, that are still out there and Lord's uh, providing kind of a, a resurgence of uh, interest this year. Uh, you know, the second volume just came out in October, uh, but through different outlets as different people connect with different people, we're seeing the Lord open more and more doors. And um, I just really believe it's for such a time as this. So uh, already working on the next one. Won't tell you what it is, just in case I change my mind, but I have a pretty good idea where we're going with the next uh, book in, in, in our uh, project here. Okay, so we're going to continue with our review of what lies ahead, and uh, somebody pointed out last week that we kind of, before the holidays, we kind of left off uh, right in the middle of our study, of, or towards the end of our study of uh, the judgment seat of Christ, and I purposely kind of decided not to go back and tie that up in a bow because I thought, well, first of all, it's been a few weeks. Uh, let's just kind of f- finish up, uh, you know, move on and finish up with review. Plus, I had passed out a multi-page handout that had all the info on it. And I'm thinking, well, people can read these last few uh, bullet points. But I think there's an interest out there in just sort of finishing up this particular portion. So that's what I'd like to do uh, today. And and if you didn't, if you're new or just now kind of tuning in and catching up with uh, the What Lies Ahead series, go back to the dates in December. You know, they're always posted in, in the most recent one first. So if you go to notbyworks.org, hover over the videos uh, menu, and then you can click What Lies Ahead. All 78 of them are there. The most recent one is first. But if you scroll down just a little ways, you can see the ones we did on the doctrine of eternal rewards and the judgment seat of Christ. We talked about a key passage being Romans 14 where Paul says we must all appear uh, before the judgment seat of Christ. And then uh, where we left off was points number six and seven. And so that's what I'd like to do uh, this morning. Um, First of all, because it's been a little while, who can tell me what is the judgment seat of Christ? Anybody? Yeah. Welcome back. Man, it's exciting. We can, I feel, I feel like all is right with the world now. So, so it is, what did you say? Who gets rewards? Of which age? Like, well, David and, correct. So the uh, judgment seat of Christ is where believers of the present age will appear following the rapture to be rewarded for our faithfulness uh, during, you know, our earthly life. Uh, It's called the judgment seat because Paul uses a common first century uh, term 
as a metaphor for that experience of the time of reward. But that's a little bit of a misnomer because there's not actually any judgment that takes place there. I remember Jesus promised that those who trust in him for eternal life have passed from death into life and shall never come into judgment. So sometimes when we use this phrase, judgment seat of Christ, which is the biblical term for it, the, the actual Greek word is bema, and it refers to a raised platform in the town square where Roman judges and magistrates would sit to make rulings on cases that are brought before them. So if you had a dispute with someone, you could take it there, and that's where the ruling would be. It's called the judgment seat. But Paul says there's a similar time when all believers will appear before the Lord and be rewarded for their acts of faithfulness done while in the body. There is no punishment. There's never punishment for believers. Certainly not any uh, you know, punitive damages that are doled out at the Bema judgment. It's all just reward or lack of reward. Um, and we went through some of those rewards. There are many that are listed in Scripture. We talked about how every New Testament writer references the doctrine of rewards. It's a huge doctrine that is woefully neglected. And then we talked about uh, the different types of behavior that are mentioned in Scripture uh, as being rewardable acts. So, um, you know, in this section, we were just kind of getting into the closing application of all of that teaching. I won't go back and recover everything that we talked about. But uh, we said, how should the reality that every believer someday will stand before the Lord and give an account uh, how should it affect our lives today? How should it motivate us? Well, the first one was it motivates us to do the very thing that we're being rewarded for doing. So diligence, uh, witnessing to others, trusting the Lord, looking for His appearing, longing for the Lord's appearing, all those things we've talked about before. Uh, one of the reasons we should do them is because we know that we will receive an eternal reward. And remember, we're going to get in a second to some of the objections that people have to this teaching, that they've never really studied it and they just it doesn't sit well with them. And maybe some of you are thinking, ah, oh, this just seems kind of selfish. Well, uh, well, we're going to discuss that in a moment. But remember, the rewards all relate to our time in the kingdom. So the first thing to keep in mind is that when we die or at the rapture, whichever comes first, it's not like we just sort of spend the rest of eternity floating around the clouds with wings, you know, singing kumbaya or something, right? There's a whole new world, the kingdom, uh, a whole new heaven, a new earth, and we're going to be serving the Lord uh, and reigning uh, for all of eternity in the absence of sin. So the Bible really, as we've talked about many times, comes full circle back to a pre-fall perfection in the garden prior to the fall kingdom. And that's what God has been working on uh, all along. So uh, these rewards all relate to positions of service in the kingdom, special crowns that we get to wear, special uh, recognition, those types of things. Whoops, uh, let's finish up number six. So uh, another reason that this should affect us is that it helps us have a heavenly perspective. It reminds us that there's more to life than what we can see and hear and touch. You know, Paul repeatedly talks about how our citizenship is in heaven. Peter talks about how we're just sojourners and pilgrims passing through. We're, we're uh, exhorted to set our minds on things above. 
But it's, it's not just this nebulous idea of set your mind on heaven. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about life in the eternal state. And we talked about that. We went through some of the characteristics of the eternal state before we got to this subject of eternal reward. So it helps us have the right perspective. Uh, secondly, it, and we talked about this, it's a big one. It, it really addresses that natural inclination within all of us to earn things. You know, God made mankind uh, naturally, even before the fall, with an uh, inclination to work, right? He gave uh, Adam a job in the garden and said, tend and keep it. He said, name the animals. And, and we, are, we, we are built and wired in the divine design to, to work, right? Uh, the problem is the one thing that we need more than anything else, which is forgiveness of sin and eternal life, we cannot work for. Um, we're going to talk about that in the message this morning in our look at Acts 21. But it's not by works of righteousness which we do. Uh, by the works of the law, no one can be justified, declared righteous, right? So, therefore, uh, it's nice to have some paradigm that's biblical that, that says, yeah, I'm going to do this because I know there's a payoff. I know there's a reward that I'm storing up in heaven. Remember, Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? Um, so it, 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 it kind of answers that desire. Most people have a very simplistic view of salvation. And they think salvation is all about heaven or hell. And that's why when they see a person living a sinful life, who claims to be a Christian, their only you know, way to, to understand that is to say, oh, they must not be a Christian. They're going to hell. It's a zero-sum game in their world. Heaven, hell, period. But what you understand when you understand this you know, sanctification process and the fact that we'll all stand before the judgment seat someday and give an account for our lives is that there's more to it than that. You know, those believers who will be in heaven someday, but who squandered their earthly life, did not walk by faith, you know, instead walked in the flesh, did not walk after the Spirit. They just backslid and, and walked, you know, lived much, much of their life apart from the Lord, disconnected from the Lord. They didn't abide in Christ as, you know, John tells us to do and Jesus told the disciples to do in John's Gospel and in First John. Uh, and those believers will not receive a reward. Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 3 a person who appears there uh, at the judgment seat and everything in their life is burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. Have you ever stopped to think about what that person's life must have looked like, right? Uh, Jesus says something similar in Luke 19 about the person who did nothing with their mina. In the context there, a mina is a stewardship that is given to us while Christ has gone to receive the kingdom. In other words, right now in the church age. And the disciples um, thought the kingdom was going to come immediately. And so Jesus says, let me tell you a parable. A king's going to go away for, for a while to receive the kingdom. And while he's gone, take this mina and do something with it. And so in the parable, some of them invested it and, and turned it into fivefold or tenfold. And they were rewarded accordingly when the king came back. Oh, you did so great. You were faithful in a little. Let me put you in charge of much. But there was one servant who did nothing. They squandered it. And, uh, and for, to them, Jesus said, you're not going to have any reward in the kingdom. They still got into the kingdom, but they just don't have any reward. So 
this doctrine, which, of course, first and foremost, it's taught because it's in the Bible, right? So we believe in teaching the whole counsel of God. But it does strike me that it really answers this notion of, you know, you know, wanting to earn things. Uh, and then as I kind of answered this, the last one there, or talked about the last one in the same context here, that the simplistic, overly simplistic heaven-hell concept. Uh, you know, you've got a category to put someone in. Oh, they're a carnal believer. Now, no one wants to be a carnal believer. And when we come across friends or loved ones or even just acquaintances who name the name of Christ but are living a debauched lifestyle, we ought to come alongside them, pray for them, encourage them, warn them, talk about how important it is for them to live out the new life of Christ within them. We never want to just ignore that reality. It's a terrible reality to be a believer that's living away from the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, theologically, there are there is that category. Paul talks about it in that same section in 1 Corinthians 3. You've got the natural man, which is the unbeliever, never placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ. You've got the carnal, which is a believer, but not living for Christ. Then you've got the spiritual man, which is the believer who's fully committed, like we talked about last week uh, in our study of Acts on what does it mean to be a disciple. So rewards kind of helps uh, us understand that. So before we get into why isn't this doctrine taught more frequently, any comments or questions about uh, what we've talked about so far? Anybody? Yes. Well, I might know what your answer would be to this, but so you always are saying believers aren't going to be judged, but what about believers who do things like commit suicide or are caught in sin at the end of their lives or even say since there are people in the Bible who made promises to God, made a promise to God and doesn't keep it or something like that. Okay, so the question is, I think you started with, I think I know what you're going to say to this. So after I repeat the question, I'm going to let you answer it. Um, you said you're always saying, you know, believers will never come into judgment. Uh, and I say that because Jesus said it, of course. That's the words of Christ. Um, but what about, your question is, what about people who commit suicide or uh, die in a state of sin? Or what was the other one you said, an example? Make promises to God, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the Bible addresses those believers who end their lives in a state of apostasy. In several places, by the way. Both descriptively and prescriptively. Let's deal with the prescriptions first. Second Timothy 2.12. Even if we are faithless, meaning we have no faith, we've lost all faith. God is faithful because he cannot deny himself. See, we are a child of God. And our relationship with God is not contingent upon our behavior, our commitment, our allegiance, like we talked about last week. It's based upon the promise of Christ who said, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. Who said, you've been adopted into the family of God. Who said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? So our relationship, our position in Christ is non-negotiable. It's permanent. It happens the moment faith meets the gospel. Uh, another passage would be um, 1 John 2.28, where John reminds us as believers, he says, little children abide in Christ so that when he appears, you'll be confident and not ashamed. So again, it's, it, to me, 
it is a reality that I think about often. And it's quite honestly, it's a reality that, that many times kind of jolts me back into repentance and a place of a right attitude. When I find myself, uh, you know, grumpy and fleshly and just not in the right spirit, often the Spirit of God will put into my mind, you know, how would you feel if the rapture happened right now? You know, I want to I want to be found faithful. Right now, it won't impact my eternal destiny because that's not based upon my works or my attitude or my behavior. If our eternal destiny was based upon, you know, not, you know, committing suicide or keeping a promise we made to God or those types of things, we could never be sure of our salvation. Never. I mean, first of all, that violates the plain teaching of Scripture, but let's just argue it logically. If our eternal destiny was contingent upon how faithful we are and hanging on to Christ until the very end, the whole Calvinist doctrine of perseverance, uh, how could I ever have assurance? Because I don't know the future. I can't be sure that five years from now I might have a terrible crisis that causes me to get uh, bitter. By the way, I heard a good definition of bitterness this week in my studies. Bitterness is uh, forgetting what you, you're mad about. <laughs> You know, being mad but forgetting what you're mad about. That's, that's bitterness, you know. But anyway, uh, I can't foretell the future. So, but the fact of the matter is Scripture is very clear that our eternal destiny is based simply upon the promise of Christ. It's a free gift. That's what grace means, free gift. We're justified freely by His grace, Romans 3.24. There are consequences for these uh, sinful behaviors. Uh, not, not just loss of reward. I mean... We, we've talked a lot in here about the devastating consequences of, of sin. Uh, in fact, we talked about it Wednesday night. Uh, if you haven't listened to Wednesday night's Bible study, we kind of uh, got off uh, tracks. You know, some, some joker asked a question that really caused to take us 30 minutes off offline, uh, off track. But anyway, it was really, I'm just kidding, it was really productive and powerful and encouraging because we talked about the deadly consequences of sin. In the life of a believer, you realize sin kills. And it doesn't care whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. It's not like, you know, if you've got two people, both of them, let's say, doing cocaine. And one's a believer and one's an unbeliever. It's not like the unbeliever is more likely to overdose. <laughs> you know, sin is an equal opportunity killer. The difference is a believer who dies goes to heaven. An unbeliever who dies goes to hell. So, um, you know, there is sin that leads to death, First John 5. Uh, I think it's verse 16. Um, you know, James says, uh, sin when it's full grown brings forth death. Proverbs repeatedly says, when you walk in the way of foolishness, you're playing with death. You're, you're likely to uh, die. Or one, one proverb says, you'll rest in the assembly of the dead. A very poetic way of saying sin kills, you know. Uh, so there are consequences, but we never have to worry about it affecting our eternal life. Uh, it affects our blessings our effectiveness, our fruitfulness, our eternal rewards, our example to others, our joy, all of our physical health, right? You know, that our bodies are all connected. And so, you know, when you go down the path of sinful behavior, it's going to make a difference, you know. That, so is that what you were going to say? I was just going to say you probably would just say that a believer wouldn't be rewarded for that. A believer what? Right, and he wouldn't. A believer would not be rewarded for that. So that's true. All right, anything else so I like far? Your answer, because it was shorter. You like her answer? You're saying I'm long-winded? No, I just 
When will he? When will he be quiet and move on to the next topic? Right now. All right. Uh, why isn't? Yes, Gary. Tim had a question. Who? No, he didn't. Oh. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. So the person that gets their mina taken away. Yes. Great question. So the question is for the person who, like the one who gets his mina taken away, uh, it, what is life like for them in the kingdom? And uh, we actually talked about this, and I think we might get to it also in here, but uh, the, the fact of the matter is he, the kingdom of heaven, which is both earthly and heavenly in the eternal state, uh, is a, a blissful, joyful occasion for everyone. There's no sadness, sorrow, negative experience in heaven. Uh, but there are degrees of reward and degrees of joy that are known only to each individual person. Like, I'll never look at you and say, boy, I wish I had what he had. Or how come I'm not as happy as he is? Or how come I'm not as joy-filled as he is? You know, I'll never do that. It's, it's kind of like when you ex have a shared experience, say, with your wife. Let's say you go to a movie and you say, uh, well, how'd you like it? And she goes, oh, I loved it. And, and she goes, how do you like it? And you go, oh, I loved it. Well, you both loved it, but you can't, like, climb inside her brain and really see exactly how much she enjoyed it, at least not yet. Klaus Schwab's working on that, and so is Elon Musk with Neuralink. But at this point, we can't actually document what's inside another person's brain. Yet it was a positive experience for both of you, right? multiply that exponentially in heaven. It's a positive experience, but and there will be no jealousy, no covetousness. I'll never look at, you know, say, Steve and say, man, I wish I was in charge of a big area in the kingdom. You know, how come I just got stuck with, you know, Castle Rock or something, right? Um, there's no jealousy. There's no covetousness. So, but the principle of stewardship, it, it makes sense when you think about it, Right? When someone does a good job at something, you, you, you reward them and you want them to, do, to be tasked with more, right? We had a young man that I hired uh, to chip away all the ice that had developed over our driveway. If I don't shovel my drive right after snow, we get a ton of snow where we are at 7,600 feet. And uh, it melts during the day when the sun comes out, and then overnight it freezes and just becomes this thick sheet of ice. And it's, a, it's on the slope. It's very dangerous. And well, I haven't been able to shovel the last couple of weeks because of my foot. And so, uh, and my boys are, went off, one of them went off and got married, the nerve, and the other one's at college. I mean, they don't even care. They don't even think. They're so selfish. They don't even think about me and my needs at home. So I had to hire this guy, and he did a great job. Fantastic job. As we were driving home from Oklahoma City yesterday, I was watching him on our camera, and I thought, man, this guy's working hard. He's doing good. And by the way, I can speak to him, too. I didn't because I thought it would freak him out. But uh, if there's ever an intruder coming from that side of the house, I can talk to him and explain to him what's waiting for him if they do come inside the, the door. But, uh, but anyway, that's the kind of, and, and so I was tell, talking to my daughters about it last night at supper, and, and they go, Bethany goes, you ought to hire him again or keep his number. You could use I, Absolutely I will. I have hired handymen before that I wouldn't hire again even if they were free because they weren't good stewards. They didn't do a good job, right? So, uh, yeah, it doesn't, there's no depreciated, uh, no, I should say there's no negative experience in heaven, but there is a 
more positive experience? Good question. Okay, so let's talk about why people neglect this doctrine. Well, uh, again, some people mistakenly assume that the doctrine of eternal rewards contradicts salvation by faith alone. But as I've said, we're not talking here about eternal salvation. We're talking about rewards. Eternal life is a free gift obtained solely by faith. Retur eternal rewards are a, an, a reward earned by our faithfulness. And don't forget, it's not just the fact of doing good things that's rewardable, as we talked about uh, before Christmas. It's the motive for doing it. So I think there are a lot of people who legalistically do a bunch of stuff, but they don't do it with the right heart attitude or counsels of the heart, 1 Corinthians 4.1. And I don't think that's rewardable. Uh, it's not just what you do, but it's your attitude. And so if you do good things and then you brag about it, well, you've got your reward. The pats on the back, the attaboys that you get here on earth, hope you enjoyed it because that's it. But if you do good things with a hard attitude, just wanting genuinely to be helpful, that's, that's rewardable. Um, some people feel the doctrine of eternal rewards promotes selfish motivation. Well, you know, uh, not all self-focus is sin. In other words, how many of you work for a living to provide for your families or have worked for a living? You selfish people. <laughs> no, of course you do, right? You, you, you need to do that. You need to pay the bills. You need to put food on the table, right? Um, you know, in a sense, everything we do is, has a purpose. And, and, and if you don't understand the, the hard attitude component of that, you might naively assume, oh, that's all selfish. Um, um, you know, but it's not. And, I, you know, one of the things that we've learned the hard way, and it's a lifelong lesson we're still learning, is not to judge people and jump to conclusions about, uh, you know, why they're doing what they're doing or judge their heart. Uh, we had dinner this week with some friends, in some people we met in Oklahoma City, and just told some great stories, uh, one of which how, was how they were misjudged at one point. People jumped to a conclusion based on limited information, and it really hurt. And I've done that, right? Um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, we've all been there. And so uh, what we need to understand is that it goes to the heart attitude. Now, if someone is uh, has a love of money, like the Bible talks about you shouldn't have, and if they're just really out of balance in their desire for things and materialism and all that, well, that, that's a problem. Um, so the, 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 it's, it's, cer it's certainly true that it, it can be selfish to work for pay, but it, it can also be not selfish. Does that make sense? Right. Um, you know, Jesus himself uh, did things for the reward. He said, for example, in Hebrews for the or uh, Philippians for the joy, or maybe it is Hebrews, it's in the Bible. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the cross. In other words, there was something out there, a joy. He knew someday he's going to stand, you know, sit at the right hand of God and ultimately on the throne in the kingdom. And that's what motivated him to go through what he did on earth. Um, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the famous Hall of Faith chapter, lists person after person who was motivated to keep the faith and keep trusting the Lord 
because of the reward of the promised land that lay before them, uh, or whatever the promise was. Uh, and then uh, some people believe that all believers will be equally rewarded. Um, you know, the Bible doesn't teach socialism, I'm sorry to say. The Bible teaches just the opposite. Some believers will sit on 12 thrones with Jesus. Some will sit on one throne. Some will sit on no throne. Some will have crowns. Some won't. Some will have robes. Some won't. Some will have special names. Some won't. Some will have you know, other positions of authority. Some won't. Um, and that's all dependent upon how we, were, how we handled the stewardship uh, that we have uh, now. So, um, and then some people assert that, uh, as I sort of addressed a moment ago, the concept of rewards might lead to jealousy. And, and, and for that one, we just need to understand our theology. And, you know, we know theologically there is no sin in heaven in the, in the eternal state, right? I mean, that should be a no-brainer. Jealousy is a sin. It's a fruit of the flesh, covetousness and jealousy. So, therefore, it can't happen. But if you need an anecdotal um, illustration, <clears throat> Just ask yourself, is it possible here and now on this earth where we're all still sold under sin and dealing with the sin nature and the fleshly nature, is it possible for you to genuinely look with, with joy upon someone else who has been blessed more than you in a particular area and be truly, genuinely happy for them without being jealous? Is that possible? Of course it's possible. It's hard. <laughs> You know, because of our sin nature, you know, we, we think, how, how come they get that and I don't? You know, that's not fair. But sure, we've all hopefully had the right heart attitude filled with the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, where we say, you know what, praise God, I'm so happy for them, right? Well, if it's possible here and now, and we all just agree that it is, <clears throat> of course it's possible in heaven when there's no sin to begin with, right? So <clears throat> it won't lead to jealousy, <clears throat> Some people claim that Jesus taught that we are all merely servants who deserve uh, no rewards. Um, this misunderstands uh, Jesus' teaching in some of the parables. This is a confusion of the doctrine of eternal life with the doctrine of rewards. When it comes to eternal life, we absolutely deserve nothing. Remember, justice demands that we all go to hell. Grace and mercy rescue us from God's justice. And they all coalesce at the cross, right? Justice is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting a free gift you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting punishment you do deserve, the withholding of punishment. And so we deserve hell as a penalty for sin. Because Christ died for our sins, that penalty has been paid for. We no longer have to go to hell if we trust in Him. Instead, not only do we avoid that penalty, that's mercy, the withholding of punishment, we actually get a gift we didn't deserve, right? We get the free gift of eternal life. Um, so, uh, you know, when it comes to eternal life, yeah, we deserve nothing. I mean, nothing good. Uh, but when it comes to rewards, the Bible is is quite clear that there are things that we can earn. There's a whole list of them. By the way, if you since it's been a while, if you didn't get that uh, handout the printed outline that we've been had been covering, uh, just email me and I'll send it to you. Just say, hey, I want the eternal rewards outline and I'll send it to you. Number F, A, B, C, D, E, F. Number six, yes. I was just reminded of Ephesians, what you were just saying, reminded me when Paul 
Paul tells the Ephesians, we, we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So it's really not us who, once we put our faith in Christ, now we're God's workmanship. Correct. So God is doing those works, and we're reaping the fulfillment of his work in us. Yeah, great, great comment. Passage is Ephesians 2.10. Uh, let me see if I can throw that up there real quick. Uh, Ephesians 2.10. Um, so in Ephesians 2.10, this is that great passage about salvation uh, by faith. Let me scroll up a bit here. Uh, for by verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, then as you quoted, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared before and we should walk in them. So, that those good works are in fact the fruit of the Spirit within us, and God is the Spirit. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How does that happen? Is it automatic? Is it guaranteed? No. If it were, we'd all be perfect, right? Because the Spirit is perfect, right? So we have to yield to the Holy Spirit, and there, and the result of that is a godly life, right? So we can quench the Spirit, we can grieve the Spirit, we can not walk in the Spirit. Again, just as God doesn't force us to receive the free gift in the first place, He doesn't force us to obey the Spirit once we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But what Paul is saying here is that anything good whatsoever that comes out of our new life in Christ is born in the Spirit. It's born in the new man. It originates with that. We cannot do good works apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit. An unbeliever, their works are like filthy rags to a holy God, according to Isaiah. Yeah. What happens when you have a good motivation to do a good work and the result ends up lousy? <laughs> what happens when your heart's in the right spot, you've got a good motivation to do a good work, but the result is lousy? Well, that happens sometimes, doesn't it? You genuinely mean well, and it blows back on you, Right. I think you just have to give that to the Lord, and it's, the Lord's going to teach you something through it. Um, you know, I was t uh, talking to uh, uh, Jordan uh, up in uh, Glenwood Springs, Heather and Gary, Heather's uh, son there, and he was really in severe pain a couple days ago, and he said, I just don't know what the Lord's trying to teach me through this, you know. And that's a little different, I get it, but still, sometimes you, you, you go, Lord, you know my heart. I meant this for good. I'm just trying to help. And look what happened. And you, you just have to say, Lord, I don't know what you're trying to teach me, but I'm going to trust you anyway. You know, we trust him even when things don't go the way we think they would. So, you know, we're not guaranteed earthly blessings, but that's an example where if we respond well, and I usually don't, then that's just storing up treasures in heaven, right? But if we get angry and say, Lord, you know, see... I knew I shouldn't have been nice to that person. Look what they did, you know. And he's going to go, well, you failed that test. We'll try another one, you know. Yeah. I'd like to ask for a little clarification. Um, when I hear, uh, hear us talking about uh, how, uh, you know, obviously if, if we're not trusting in Jesus, we're getting what we deserve. Um, what I have to think about and to make sense, and I'm wondering if this analogy is a good one, if I have a car part that came from the factory with a defect, yeah, and 
and I run this car park for you know a lot of years run it hard and it works and it really doesn't fail <laughs> but at some point I decide hey something's wrong with this I've got to you know this car this part either has to be replaced or it has to be fixed right so in the eyes of the manufacturer um, those parts were all out there and they know that they were you know, what I call defective right or not up to, not going to last forever let's look, look sure that way. Um, the manufacturer knows that there's a problem and they will definitely help you fix that problem but first you have to go to the manufacturer they don't come to you like sometimes they do with a recall but sometimes they'll just you have to be the one the proactive one that says Hey, this part's bad. What can you? What do you know about that? Well, say, oh, so yeah, we know all about that. Here's the fix. Yeah. So the analogy is about a manufacturer who knows a car part's bad, but you got to go back to them and ask him about before they'll repair it or replace it. Uh, all analogies kind of fall short on on some levels. Uh, by the way, to me, that sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen. But uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a but, thing. But uh, not win that the issue in terms of you, you started out the question by referring back to this thought concept of we get what we deserve. It all goes back to Genesis. And in Genesis 2.17, God clearly said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. We knew the rules of the game. Don't sin, sin leads to death. Paul later you know, clarifies it in great detail in the book of Romans. The wages of sin is death, right? In Adam, we've all sinned. One man, and it's passed down through the blood. So we're all under the same penalty. So from God's justice only, the just thing is we get hell. We get eternal damnation. But God, as we've been talking about on Wednesdays, is also gracious and merciful and loving and so forth. And all of those worked together so that we have this opportunity to, to remedy the predicament we got ourselves into. And I think that's where the analogy breaks down a bit, at least in my mind, is that God made the first move. The manufacturer doesn't just wait for us to figure it out and then come back. He says, you have a problem. Alert, alert, alert. No, You've got a problem. <laughs> well, it's not true in the manufacturer, but it is true from yes. God. Yeah. See, God took the first move. God said, you, now you've got a problem. I'm going to provide a solution to it. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't force it on us, but he, as Romans 1 makes clear, has made himself known to all of creation. Nobody can claim, well, you didn't tell me I had a sin problem. We, we all have a sin problem. We all have a conscience. That's what all Romans 1 through 3 is all about. So, um, but then, yes, you know, you, if, you, if you want the replacement, the new man, by faith, you got to receive it. You, you know, it's not automatic, right? right? So basically, every human being is, there's a recall for every human being. Yeah. And um, you can ignore it. It's a voluntary recall. Right, or you can accept it, right? <laughs> That actually ended up being a fairly decent analogy. So, anybody else? Yes. Justin. Oh. I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, just a comment. Well, first of all, my service engine light's been on for a while. Coming <laughs> uh, on Judy's point, it blowing up in your face uh, might not be for you. God's timing's perfect. Amen. Uh, most of us don't crawl out of the hole until we hit the very bottom. So, you're trying to help that person. It might not be their time. They're not ready to change or crawl out or, or whatever it might be on them that they need to a few more times a little more time in the gutter before yeah. 
don't take that person. Yeah, great point, Justin. Justin pointed out that going back to Judy's question, that if uh, if we're our hearts in the right spot, we're genuinely doing something with a pure motive, trying to be helpful and gracious, and it ends up not being received well or blows up. You know, that could be that the Lord's just still working on that person, that His timing isn't you know right for them, and a lot of people need to be hit rock bottom before they can. Uh, can look up. So I think the bottom line is we don't really know what God's doing. We're not responsible for the results. You know, I, I, for me, I often find myself having that conversation in a little different subject, which is the one about evangelism. Because, you know, having spent my life mostly on the road, speaking at conferences, sharing the gospel, you know, sometimes you come away and you think, Lord, boy, I felt like the gospel was very powerfully presented and clear, but you just, it kind of, just drops flat and nobody seems to respond there's no nobody i never hear that yeah so and so got saved or and so like paul said you know some plant some water the lord gives the increase so we just we just do the same thing on our helping other believers don't be don't think about the results that's not our job yeah sally well that makes me think of right yeah, exactly. Sometimes you plant uh, seeds that don't take root till till years later. So that's uh, it's another point. So okay. So any other? Uh, oh, and the last one. Let me just close out with this one. Uh, sometimes people say, "Well, you know, why should you emphasize eternal rewards?" Because you know, in Revelation four, it talks about we're just going to give them all back to the Lord anyway. Well, not exactly true. That comes from a misunderstanding. It is true in Revelation 4, 9, and 10 that we're going to be laying these crowns, and as, as an example of one reward, back at the Lord's feet. But in the grammar there, the idea there is whenever you come before the Lord, not, not a one-time action. So the implication is for all of eternity, we're going to be able to use our rewards as a means of giving glory to Him. So if you want to be specific, it, it's like, you lay them down, but then you pick them up again, and the next time you lay them down again, it's not a one-time action. So people misunderstand that passage in Revelation 4 as if it's saying that, you know, you give them back and you're done. Now, you have your rewards for all of eternity, but that is one means by which we can give glory uh, to God for all of eternity. Okay. So, great. So we're just going to continue uh, for the foreseeable future summarizing. Next week, I want to Go back to the Abrahamic covenant in a little bit greater detail and, and chart that out for you, which we talked about last week. Then I want to get into Daniel chapter 9, which is the key to understanding Bible prophecy, and we'll chart that out for you. But no, no necessarily agenda. We'll, we'll go as long as we need to and as frequently as we need to. Yes? I have kind of a goofy question. A goofy question? Yeah. Right That's right. Who better? Yeah. This triggered one of the questions that I've been wondering about is are we going to be wearing white clothes all the time? Yeah. All the time? Uh, the question is are we going to be wearing white clothes all the time? We know that we will be coming back on white horses. We know that there are white raiment. I don't guess we can say with certainty. Certainly there are descriptions that speak of the white robes, but whether that's intended to be universal for all of eternity, who knows? Or no clothes. Yeah, I mean, we will be back to the return to the pre-fall state, 
So you remember Adam and Eve didn't have any shame or whatever in their physicality, but we won't, our physical bodies will look different because they'll be glorified. Uh, but yeah, good question. I don't know. So we'll have to wait and see. Could be camo. Yes, yes. Yep. I think everybody will have their perfect color. Now, this is your color, right? All right, well, thank you, guys. Uh, let's take a break. For those of you live streaming, we'll come back together. Usually it's around 1020 at the earliest, sometimes 1025, 1030. But whenever I get back up to speak, the live stream will uh, kick on.